Hello, this is Joe Peters at Coldwell Banker, and I'm about to interview Dr. Michael McDonough, who is the president of Verrett Valley Community College, and let's listen in. So good morning, this is Joe Peters with Coldwell Banker, and one of the things I try to do in our community is keep abreast of what's happening, talking to various people on this podcast, and this morning we've got Dr. Michael McDonough from Verrett Valley Community College, and Michael, say hello. Hey, good morning. How are you? Hey, great, great, great. You know, I've read up on your background a little bit, but I think <coughs> I'd like to have you start by giving a little bit of how you got to where you're at. You know, that's that's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answer. Um, <laughs> so I've spent my entire career in uh, higher education, started as a faculty member back in uh, 1981 and uh, Oklahoma State University. Wow. And uh, ended up at Raritan Valley in uh, 20, 2014. Very lucky career. And uh, any moment they'll find out, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I Big that. fraud. You, you have a wonderful way of making your point through humor. And I've always appreciated that about <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> I, I read that your sons were, and I imagine you are as well, big Buffalo Bills fans. And I went back yeah. to, try to figure out how, and it looks like there was a college called Alfred in uh, Rochester. Yeah. Yeah, I lived in uh, Rochester, New York from uh, 1987 until 2014. Wow. And uh, so we were big uh, Buffalo Bills fans. Uh Went to a lot of games, was a season ticket holder for a while, lived through the great Jim Kelly era. Right. Uh, and then about 25 years we spent in the wilderness. And uh, this year, uh, thanks to Josh Allen and Sean McDermott, and Stefan Diggs, uh, they've got a real team this year. So, Wow. Stefan is amazing. And your quarterback yeah. is amazing. I am a big yeah. giant season ticket holder since 85. It's how I got all these gray hair. <laughs> and um, I met um, Kelly. Uh, they were changing film. It was a handshaking opportunity. And, and sure. I got to talk to him while we were changing film. Interesting guy. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, quarterbacking is a lot and football, it's a, it's a team sport and everything we do in life is a team sport. I, um, the funniest thing I've ever heard about the Buffalo Bills, though, is they, when Marv Levy was the coach, they took the Bills and they made an acronym out of it. No way, it's lousy losing Super Bowls. <laughs> well. Four in a row will will get you that dubious honor, right? And, and is Marv still with the team? I know I saw him as an advisor a few years ago. You know, I he's still around. Wow. Um, I think Sean McDermott, you know, calls on him every now and again. But um, he's got to be now, Joe. What? I mean, he's got to be in his early nineties. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm in my past seventy fives, and I look up to him as like a, a father yeah. figure. So he's got to be. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. He's a, he's I'm, a, I'm very pleased. You know, the, the fans are, are amazing and, and it's well-deserved. And, and I hope they go far in the playoffs. We'll see. Eventually, they're going to run into the Kansas City Chiefs at some yes. point. And uh, 
they don't seem able yet to 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 beat them. So we'll see. We'll good. See. Well, good luck with it. And uh, yeah. Maryland's a Chiefs fan. I'm sort of neutral, but I admire their quarterback. And uh, although I admire Kelly, and Kelly's got somebody. I'm trying to what the other team was he went to college with. I think it's the fellow that's with uh, San Diego's new team, which is L.A. Chargers. Now he went to school with. Oh no, kidding. Yeah, I remember one of the games they were saying these two guys went to school a long time ago, and I think it was oh, him, wow. and, and I think that's Herbert. I think he's a, he's an up-and-comer, too. So we have a lot of yes. six up-and-comers this year. Yeah, he's a he's a monster kid, too. Big kid. Yeah, they announced him as he's the backup to the backup, and this is his first game. And then he told the story <laughs> that when he went into the huddle the first time, because apparently they misdiagnosed giving somebody a muscle shot that was the quarterback – the backup quarterback, because he was the backup to the backup. The guys in the huddle said, what are you doing out here? <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the club. Is a hell of a way to start. <laughs> so it's been a hell of a year for all of us, and uh, it's yeah. not over. I think John no. Maddox put it in the best perspective I've ever heard. And said, John, for our listeners, is the um, economic development manager for Somerset County. We have a, uh, also one for Hunterdon County uh, named Mark Salick. But John said, you know, I've been in emergency management all my life, and we sort of start when the emergency is over. This emergency goes on and on and on. We yeah. don't know when it's going to end. So it's a whole different type of management. Um, I, uh, I, don't, I don't say I want to be doing what I used to do for a living. Uh, I was an IT guy, and I used to run operations for like Macy's and Allied stores. Um, it's like, how do you do that? I mean, it's the whole world is upside down and we still have people wanting to go to school. And to put sure. it in perspective, because I think it'll sort of shadow on what we're going to talk about a little bit. I, I belong to a couple of high network groups in Warren and they're talking about their kids going to Bucknell and whatever. And they're saying, before I spend $62,000 a year before room and board, I think I'm going to let them go to RBCC for a year or two. And sure. Uh, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of that. We so are. We are. How, how is this all? Effect? First of all, what is your student body count at this point, if it was normal? So if it were normal, we would be right at around uh, 8,100, 8,200 wow. credit students and about another several hundred workforce students and, you know, couple more hundred here and there. Okay. And is anybody on campus at this point in time? So not right now. Um, in the fall semester, Joe, what we did, so we offer in the fall semester, we have about somewhere between 1,300 and 1,400 separate sections of classes. And we had about 200 of those on campus, uh, mostly courses which were uh, either had a lab component that you simply couldn't do online, uh, our nursing program, uh, our workforce programs, because they're intensely right. hands-on learning. So, so about 19% of our courses in the fall were on campus. We did great up until uh, the Thanksgiving break, and then we saw a lot of infections, uh, not among faculty and staff, uh, but among students. 
Um, so out of a, a real overabundance of caution, we moved everything for the final two weeks, Joe, back to online. Okay. And right now we're closed until January 4th. Um, we are worried, I think, um, as everybody is, about what the post-holiday spike might be. Right. So we're going to stay remote for the first two weeks of the spring semester. Um, and then it'll be a, a real photocopy of the fall, about 200 classes um, online, uh, on campus. I on think. campus. And you have no campus facility for room and board. So everybody no. is a travel and travel back. Some That's people right. do live in the vicinity, but. Uh, That's right. So. I have a, my, Marilyn, my better half son is, uh, his, his girlfriend is with Rowan, not Rowan, Ryder. And she's sure. admissions down there. And she's saying, we have a lot of people on campus because about a quarter of our people are now back on campus doing classes online from campus. Yeah. Because for one reason or another, living at home didn't make any sense anymore. I mean, sure. driving each other crazy or whatever. Um, you don't have that capability. So everybody is remote from somewhere. Although, as we said, there's some people living in a vicinity. Yeah. What percentage so, of your, your, your people do live nearby in order to have a community? Sure. So if you take as a base um, 8,000 students, um, about 1,100 of those students uh, do not reside in either Hunterdon uh, or Somerset. So right. take, take those out. Uh, we also, Joe, you may know, we have a very large statewide uh, prison program. And so about 600 of those students um, are incarcerated. Okay. So of the remaining, you know, roughly 6,000 or so students, about 4,000 are in Somerset County and about 2,000 are in uh, Hunterdon County. Hmm. I remember we first met when I was doing leadership Hunterdon. And at that point, it was roughly three quarters, one quarter Somerset Hunterdon as far. So it's probably still fairly similar to that. Yeah, fairly similar. Um, you know, Hunterdon's demographic is uh, more challenging than Somerset's. Right. Um, Hunterdon is a, a declining population. It's a, a more uh, rapidly aging uh, population. It's a less diverse population. And Somerset, of course, uh, is a growing population, certainly right. a more diverse and a younger uh, population. But nevertheless, that doesn't necessarily mean, Joe, they're, they're coming to Raritan Valley in, in greater numbers either. So, Interesting. Uh, it, it's a challenge. It's, it's a so, challenge to serve two counties that are so different. From each so, so different. It, it's, it's amazing because I went on to do the Somerset County Leadership Program met you again there and we've worked together on several things with the chamber. Um, and I've discovered that um, when I first did the Hunterdon County and I live in, in the Beaverbrook section of Annandale, which is Clinton Township, 
Um, yep. I discovered that we weren't selling, and, and I'm in real estate, it's a second career. I discovered we weren't selling many high-end homes. So a person, I'm on a board of realtors for 100 in Somerset and now Mercer, a fellow board member said, hey, I'm in Warren Watchung. Why don't you come out here and take a look? And I did, and I was blown away. I mean, the average list price is over a million dollars and the average sale price is in the yeah. 900s. And we, we have one or two of those a month here in Hunterdon. Yeah. But there's a reversal of fortune. And Jim Hughes, who I've had on the podcast, talks about it a little bit as well. He calls it sure. the tide goes in, the tide goes out. And he too has a wonderful sense of humor. Um, we in in the state of New Jersey, we are 100% ahead of last year as far as units in real estate, although we didn't sell anything for almost three months. For the, the, the March, April, May, into the right. beginning of June, we just sort of flushed out the pipeline, things that were already in process, but didn't sell much new. And then it took off like a shot. And it's amazing to me that we are in Somerset County, 2% ahead of last year in units, but in Hunterdon County, we're 22% of ahead of last year. Mm. And in both cases, we have 30 to 40% less inventory. So, I mean, we're like sewing off the branch we're sitting on. Eventually, we'll have nothing to sell. The answer is sure. stuff that comes on sells immediately. So, yeah. it never gets into that column. But it it appears to me like people cannot find what they're looking for in Somerset County. It's always been part of my business strategy. I introduced them to Hunterdon. Um, but secondly, they don't have to be that close to New York anymore. And I think the remoteness of, and right. unless you, know, you get more in, in Hunterdon County as far right. as land, you probably pay 20% less in price for the same size house. And if you go to Pennsylvania, it's exponentially better sure. than that. But it always was, you got to drive back to work. Now, you don't typically have to drive back to work anymore. I think sure. Jim also, he, he talks about the K-shaped, uh, Jim Hughes from Rutgers, uh, the top of the K being that V bounce back, which are the elite professionals who can work from home. It's not like everybody can work from home. The bottom of the right. K, he calls Main Street America, and they have to pump gas and bring groceries, and they are not able to work at home whatsoever. And in a lot of cases where they used to work isn't fully functional or there at all, so they're hurt. And then John Maddox added a little something between the two curves of the K and saying, yeah, but you've got the first line responders. They could be doctors, nurses, police, firemen, lawyers. These people have to go to work as well. So... We have a tremendously diverse population effect on what's happening. And I would think you're seeing that in college as well. Um, you, you physically can't have them come to you. Right. But have you had an effect of people not being able to, and it may be too early to tell, afford to go to college this year? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, so one of the immediate impacts of the pandemic and the resulting economic class, uh, collapse has, been, has had a profound effect on the college and especially among our most vulnerable students. So we have lost um, about somewhere between 700 and 800 students. These were students who were enrolled in the spring semester. Mm. They did not return in the fall uh, and they are uh, mostly uh, first-generation students. They're students of color. 
their students from lower economic uh, wage groups, uh, their immigrant students, uh, their undocumented students. So the first casualties of the pandemic have been perhaps those students who need higher education the most. That's... Um, and so they've, you know, they were already um, an incredibly fragile group of students. Yes. They were working, you know, 40 hours a week and trying to go to school. Um, and now they are, you know, working three, four jobs. They're helping families. Um, so one of the things, and we know this because we were given uh, $1.9 million from the federal government to give directly to students in the form of uh, coronavirus aid. Wow. Um, we could have given it away four times over, Joe. Um, the applications from students uh, were heartbreaking, and uh, we gave that money all away um, in a few short weeks. Uh, wasn't enough, um, but you know the effect on that group of uh, students has been profound um, and devastating. And we're trying to figure out how do we help those students? How do we get them back in college? Um, and, and it's an uphill uh, battle. One of the other things that Jim Hughes has pointed out is that we were able by the end of October to put 50 plus percent of our people back to work. <clears throat> and many, many people were thinking, what a good boy am I, this is going great. But he said, beware, that was the easy 50%. The other 50% will take three or four years to get back to normal because they're in the jobs that are gone or are more deeply affected. And I, I, this is profound. It's going to be long lasting to us. And um, sure, the, you and I served on the diversity council for the chamber <clears throat> in Somerset, um, being a much more diverse area, just the county itself is, is sure. affected. Just for our listeners' sake, I think I know the answer. You serve 100 and then Somerset County, but anybody in New Jersey can apply. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So that's Absolutely. where those 800 are coming from. That, that. Yeah. Um, the only difference, Joe, is that we, by state law, we can charge more for out-of-county students. Okay. Um, and we can set that. We try not to charge too much. And if a student, let's say a student lives in Middlesex County, but works in Somerset County, as long as uh, the student can provide proof of employment okay. in Somerset County, we won't charge a, an out-of-county rate. Uh, most of those students are adults, they're working adults, and so we don't want to uh, burden them with uh, higher tuition. So okay. uh, One of the things that most people, and, and I I really believe, and I, I probably filled half of the subsequent classes in Hope Honored and in Somerset with people I've talked to, that you have to understand the county we're in. We're in probably two most prosperous counties in the country at this point, because the ones that beat us in the past fell off the cliff in California's debacle. But we have across both counties, roughly 40% of what we call Alice people, which are the people 
ALICE stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained But Employed right. People. And Marilyn worked for um, Rutgers Medical School all the way through when it started as Rutgers, I turned into UMDNJ, 33 and a half years. She worked with PhDs and masters and she just needed something to do because she got <clears throat> retired earlier and she was planning and still had a lot of energy. So she went to Costco and she hands out cheesecake. You probably see your finette on her here, uh, although she hasn't done it in the last six months. So she had something to do and she says, I can't believe this. Most of the people I'm talking to, and a good percentage are coming in from Pennsylvania, are working three and four jobs and have no benefits. Sure. And I said, that's it. You came home to work, you went back to school. You came home to work, you went back to school. You never looked sideways. We live in a community where these people, they're great people. They just never got enough education or leadership to right. earn what you and I earn. And as a result, from the real estate viewpoint, they're probably not going to affect how many people buy houses because they're typically renters. Right. But the people who punch, pump your gas and the people who ring your groceries to a great extent, and some of these occupations have started to pay more over the years, but these are what we call Alice. And it's the divide is getting bigger even mm -hmm. before COVID mm -hmm. between- Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I think COVID has exacerbated that divide to the extent that we're gonna see even more. It's gonna take a while sure. for us to get back to where we were. But at the same time, we're getting New York license plates in our area more sure. and more every day. And that's helping sort of camouflage it at the high end. Cause we all say, oh, look, things aren't so bad up here. But sure. if you don't travel into the lower economic it's much different. I'm sure your school sees that. I mean, you told sure. us the diversity a couple of years ago that you were the first minority di diverse school. So we are a, we're a minority serving institution, which means that more than 50% of our student population is non-white. We are also a Hispanic serving institution, which means that in terms of headcount, we have at least 25% of our student population uh, is Hispanic. And I think, you know, I think you're right. I think Somerset and Hunterdon are complex places to live um, and to understand. And I think New Jersey is a very complex uh, state. Um, so for example, and, and by the way, the real challenge for, for Raritan Valley on, on the one hand is how do we find um, entry-level positions for students um, that will provide them a sustaining wage um, in New Jersey? Right. Uh, because that's a, that's a challenge. Um, our goal is always to serve Hunterdon and Somerset County. We would like to keep our students here. And one of the national statistics, of course, is that if a student attends a community college, they're much more likely to stay in the area, become contributors to the tax base of that area, and, and raise everybody's quality of life. I wanna make one thing very clear. We are a public institution. Um, but we're not a charity. Any public funds that come into Raritan Valley 
are the best investments that counties and states uh, can make. The return on the dollar um, is, is incredible. Um, but right now, you, and, and one other thing you said that I want to reinforce, um, we are not dealing with anything new. The pandemic, the resulting economic collapse, and this nationwide sort of social and political contortion around racial justice. The pandemic has just accelerated those. It's just magnified those. So questions of enrollment, questions of funding, the kinds of programs we offer students, questions about affordability, questions about are we connecting college to work, all of those were in evidence pre-pandemic. When we closed this college on March the 13th until today, those have ramped up 400%. So we are in a crisis. This has been devastating to this college. We'll endure, we'll survive, but we cannot be the same college we were on, on March the 12th. That's just not gonna work. That's, uh, that's profound. And I just thought, I was looking at your, your most popular majors and it looks like liberal arts, which are for the people right. who haven't decided what they wanna be yet. But that's right. business, nursing, criminal justice, and in teaching and health, um, engineering. Um, right. Has this changed what people are signing up for? That may be a too early to tell question. So, so I think it is too early to tell, but I think your question begs some some different answers. So let me let me be controversial because why not? Life's too short. <laughs> so so here's one of the problems, and and I do think that American higher education um, is a world standard. D don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I think it is one of the best expressions of our democracy. It's, it's an amazing ecosystem. Um, however, we have become addicted to the idea that a four-year degree is the fundamental requirement for success in either a job or life. And that is not true. We now live in a global competitive economy that is reinventing itself every time we release a smartphone. Right. I can't sit here and tell you what the best job in two years is going to be because we haven't invented it yet. So we've got to get off this idea of a four-year degree. We have got to do a couple of things very quickly. One, we have got to understand that business and industry must be part of higher education. We have to collaborate with business and industry to understand where they're going and exactly what skills, what competencies, what kind of education best serves their interests then we need to bring them on campus. 
We need them as advisory bodies. We need them to fund programs. Right. We need them to recruit our workers. That's one thing. The second thing is we need to offer credentials other than either a two-year degree or a four-year degree. There are industry-valued credentials. What are they? Let's offer those. And then the other thing we need to understand is that this kind of education is going to be for life. Our students, let's take advanced manufacturing. As technology improves advanced manufacturing, those students are going to have to come back to us and they're going to have to upskill. They're going to have to get stackable credentials. That's great. I would love to have those long-term relationships with business and industry and with those right. students. That's the point. So I think this is exciting. This is a dynamic time, but we must seize it now or we're going to be irrelevant and somebody else will step in and provide the education that our students need. I had a recent conversation, and I believe it's on one of these podcasts. I know the conversation, but I'm not sure this part of it is there with Ann Buckley Johnson, who's an attorney I met. And she has switched her business from general attorney to helping vets once they get declined. And she and her husband has both have both left their attorney jobs as attorneys to do this. And they're doing it full-time successfully locally. Probably the best, um, the Buckley Johnson Law Firm in, in Bridgewater, the best known New Jersey firm doing it. And I asked her how her son was because she's my personal attorney as well. And um, I hadn't seen him, her in two years. And she said, well, he's in college, but he's in the workforce developments end of our VCC. He loves auto mechanics. And I said, well, right. good for him. He'll probably make more than most of the people in the ever school. <laughs> a a absolutely. A absolutely. And so, you know, we're working, Joe, on a couple of partnerships with LabCorp, with First Energy, um, there is critical labor market need in the state of New Jersey in healthcare, in energy, in green, you name the sector. Right. The trick is how do we, and by the way, the, the, the data last week is that one million of our neighbors in the state of New, uh, state of New Jersey are unemployed. Wow. How are we going to get these folks back into the labor economy, into the labor market? And, you know, to your other point earlier, many of those businesses are never going to come back. Yep. So we've got to find critical market need for those. But the trick is who's going to fund this? How can we get those students here? And by the way, and our, our workforce program has been a tremendous success, not thanks to me, but thanks to some really smart people who work here. We're at capacity. We're, we've run out of space. Um, so we're struggling to serve our, uh, our high school populations. We're struggling to serve these returning um, underemployed and unemployed workers. And automotive is a classic example. Tremendous need for qualified auto techs. 
um, who are computer sophisticated, um, but, but we have a finite number of seats. We just can't take any more. So but you're, con you're constrained by, by certain yeah. current funding and, and right. facility. Um, right. How, let's talk about the Workforce Development School. Uh, John, sure. that's where John Maddox says, this is more time thinking. We got to keep that going. How, is, how have you kept? I mean, you can't learn auto mechanics from home. There's some amount of book. No. So we petitioned. So you're right. So what we did, um, we figured out. Just, so when we closed the call, we closed the college on March the 13th. We didn't have a choice. The governor um, at rightly issued a series of executive orders. Right. So we did two things. One, we figured out what could we offer in an, in an online world in these programs that wouldn't slow their progress, but would excuse them for being on campus. And so we had about five to six weeks worth of material. And then what we did is the governor introduced a, a process where you could uh, petition the state for exemptions to the closure, but you had to satisfy a whole host of uh, criteria, some of which were about safety. And so we did that and we were successful. So we petitioned the state, we got a series of waivers, and then we modified the physical space so that students were physically distancing, we did uh, building checks, we bought, fit. we did everything we could think of to keep students safe, because your point's exactly right. The distinguishing feature of workforce education is hands-on. Right. Um, and so now they're all back. All of those programs are back. Wonderful. To they're hear. back very differently. Auto for example, the auto tech program used to be we would have uh, six students uh, working at one bay on a car. Uh, it's, it's two students now. Interesting. So financially, it's killing us. Yeah. But you gotta, you've got to help those students finish those programs. So that's, that's wonderful to hear. And, you know, the other thing I think most people don't realize is how far reaching RVC is. As a matter of fact, it's a link in the chain, but not by mistake. It goes all the way back into the high schools on one side, and we start oh, training people in sure. their junior and senior years so that they can get to RVC and spend two summers on one full year and have their two-year degree. And Absolutely. on the other end, it reaches into the New Jersey STAR program, if I'm it hasn't been renamed since I saw it last, which allows them to go right. to college if they get a certain GPA for free in right. the state of New Jersey and get their four-year degree. It's That's a right. critical link. So, so when I, and again, I want to reinforce that. I, and thank you for noting that. I, it's really important that people understand the distinguishing, one of the distinguishing features of the community college is who comes here. We have literally, everyone from a 13-year-old to an 84-year-old, um, and everything that is possible in between those two poles. Wow. You're right. We have 17-year-olds who graduate with an associate degree before they graduate high school. And we have incarcerated uh, uh, New Jersey residents in seven statewide facilities. 
who are rebuilding their lives one course at a time. So you're absolutely, and by the way, we have a wonderful program with the ARCs of Somerset County and Hunterdon County. We have 46 students on campus with varying degrees of intellectual disability. Um, everyone, everyone deserves an opportunity at post-secondary education, and we provide that. Four-year institutions are great. Rutgers is an outstanding institution, but that's not their mission. That's our mission. That's amazing because I was reading you have 50 different clubs, 19 different athletic associations uh, or teams within the school. And then the diversity thing is, is just, it, it blows my mind because if you look sure. at Somerset County being somewhere, and your college is a good example, somewhere in the 40% diverse where Hunterdon County is somewhere in the upper one digits diverse. Right. Right, um, right. We're serving two different people, and I'm sure your student body sure. reflects. Sure. So we're coming to the end of the time we allocated. What sure. points would you like to make that maybe we haven't covered? And then I'm going to invite you back in six months and get an update off you. Sure. I mean, I, I, I think we've covered a lot of material. I, I would just urge anyone who hears the podcast, who's a resident, um, if you need something from this institution, just contact us. Um, we want to be, and we take seriously the word community in our title. We're a public institution and we're here to serve the community. And we know uh, just as the college has experienced it itself, um, this pandemic has wrought havoc on a lot of our community. Um, if we can help, uh, we certainly um, will. Uh, and the other thing that I want to note is that, you know, we have survived this because of uh, the students who come here. They're remarkable students. They're inspiring students. Uh, and we are so grateful to be able to help those students on their way. And that's the, that's the thing about a community college is, um, we're passing on students. They never stay with us. Yep. They either go to other colleges to finish or they go to employers. Um, but we're that kind of hub. Um, we're delighted to serve both counties. Uh, and if you think anybody who is hearing this, if you think there's a way for us to do it better, um, tell us and we'll try. Super, super. Michael, or I should be calling you doctor, but... No, no, please, please don't. Um, I, I've really appreciated your spending the time with us. This is Joe Peters once again, and wasn't that a wonderful interview of Michael? Every time I listen to Michael, I discover how more of a central position the community college plays for the 100 and Somerset counties and all of New Jersey that it serves. Michael, thank you. One of the biggest decisions in your lifetime is buying or selling a house. Choosing a realtor with strong client communication, technology, and marketing skills will dramatically improve your chance of success. That's why Hunterdon and Somerset's residents rely on Joe Peters. Joe believes his clients deserve a smooth and seamless experience, not a roller coaster ride. 
As a Coldwell Banker Sales Associate with 20 years of experience, he's helped hundreds of people to achieve their goals and dreams, no matter where they were in the buying or selling process. Here's what his satisfied customers have to say. Joe guided us through the process of selling our home and made a complicated transaction appear seamless. Joe is diligent and responsive without being pushy and truly keeps his client's best interest in mind. He would return calls within minutes if he didn't pick up. Joe accomplishes this by approaching every transaction from a business perspective. Initially, he tries to fully understand your goals and dreams and make them his own. Then he takes the mass amount of data that's available and distills it down to a few understandable action points. And finally, he controls the entire process through technology and marketing. The end result to you is a smooth, rewarding customer experience. Let Joe show you how to take his professional expertise and put it to work for you. To contact Joe, go to jpeters.com. You can call 908-238-0118 or text to 908-304-4660.